All right, so once again, thank you for being here this morning. Uh, we're going to be studying the New Testament book of Philippians, continuing our study, uh, Philippians chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to that part. If you use your phone or your iPad or tablet, that is fine too. Please feel free to do that. And if you don't have a Bible, no worries. All the Bible verses will be on the screen behind me, so we got you covered no matter what, okay? So if you would, turn to Philippians chapter 1. Uh, we're going to start at verse 12 and go to 14. And this is what Paul says. This is what he wants us to know. And he tells us, now I want you to know, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now, what we're seeing here, first and foremost, is that Paul is reassuring the other Christ followers. The other people, obviously he's locked up, but the people outside. That's what this, these verses are going to be about. Paul has been arrested. He's sitting in chains in prison. And let's be honest, that situation normally wouldn't bring a lot of confidence and security to a group if your head person, your main leader, is now arrested and locked up. Right? Usually being arrested, thrown in jail would cause panic, cause the whole group to even reconsider if this is the smartest thing to do anyway, right? Maybe, maybe God's not even in this. Because if he got locked up, what are we doing? Right? That would be a normal response, right? That's those are normal questions that run through your head. So you can't necessarily blame the people if some of them are thinking that. But Paul, being ever the evangelist, he understands this. He wants them to he wants to console them and also remind them that God works in all kinds of situations, right? This is why he's telling them in verse 12. He says, what happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. So he has a turning point there, right? Which means, listen guys, because I got arrested, the gospel is still being spread. I'm still doing what God called me to do, right? Which actually means Paul this is kind of funny, who got arrested for teaching about Jesus Christ is doing what in jail? Teaching about Jesus Christ. He's doing the same thing, All right? He's teaching the other inmates, the other guards, and he says basically anybody in the palace who would listen, anybody with an earshot, he's telling about Jesus Christ. Now, from a practical standpoint, that might not seem like a smart thing to do. Getting arrested for something and then doing it what? And just not even learning at all, right? He's still doing that. But let's reread what he says in verse 13. As a result, which means he's doing it. It has become clear throughout the whole palace guard, not just one or two, but everybody and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. So every guard in the palace has now come to the realization that Paul's actually not a bad guy. He's clearly not a criminal. He's not a swindler. He's not physically dangerous. He's not robbing anybody. This guy who we just locked up is just totally, completely believes in this guy, Jesus. And he won't stop talking about him. He just keeps talking and talking. And let's be honest, he keeps telling me and you and everybody else that this guy rose from the dead. And there are witnesses. He walked on water. There are witnesses. He fed thousands. He did all this stuff. And Paul won't stop talking about him. So that means one or two things. Paul is either crazy, totally mental, or he actually believes this stuff. He's actually a decent guy. He just believes this stuff. 
And so what Paul's saying is it's causing the guards to go, hmm, he's not crazy. That's different. And that's what's going on here. The message is still getting out. And Paul is making sure the people on the outside realize that what happened to him is not necessarily a bad thing. He got arrested, sure, but the gospel is still being shared. Good things happen, bad things happen, but regardless, the goal is to always be a disciple and just simply share the good news, right? Because that's what we're called to do. And this is what I want you to uh, test me on, right? You can test me. Look through the Bible, and you're not going to find anywhere that Jesus says, share about me as long as things are going well. It doesn't say that anywhere. It doesn't say that. Trust me on that. Because of who he is, because of who Jesus actually is, we can share about him at all times. And he, this is what he actually, Jesus actually told us. It's awesome. It's Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Then Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And there's this beautiful word, therefore, which means due to everything I just said, this is what this is leading to. Because of that, therefore, you can go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'll be with you to the very end of the age. Because he's been given all authority in heaven and earth, because he is who he says he is, we can go where he calls us to go. We can do what he tells us to do. We can do it because he's the Messiah. This means when things are going well, do it. This means when things aren't going well, do it. Because he has all the authority. All right? If we're free, do it. If we're locked up, do it. Now, I also want to share something here that really is going to apply. All right? And it highlights how important it is just simply to share the good news no matter what. Uh, there were years ago, years ago, about 10 plus years, maybe 12 now, I did a Bible study in the Indian River, Indian River County Jail. Uh, and just for the record, I wasn't locked up. I went into the front door and all that kind of That's okay if I did, because Paul was the perfect example. But I always bring it up, because there's always one or two people like, I wonder if he got locked up or something. It's okay, it's okay. Uh, but it was a really good experience, and it, it was good, not only because we got to talk about Jesus, but I learned a lot too. And when I went through it for the first couple of times, they put me with two other pastors who'd been there a long time and doing a thing, and you get to learn the, uh, the whole setup and how you get in, how you get out, how long you're there, all that kind of stuff. But it was very intimidating, not just because I was in the jail and there was a bunch of you know, tough guys that could break me in half easily. The two pastors I was with were two of those their types of pastors that pretty much had every Bible verse memorized. <laughs> But, so when they would talk, they would talk for a half hour, 45 minutes to an hour, some of you sometimes, and they would just blaze, they didn't have a Bible, they just blazed through it, and they were just rattling off all these verses, right? And it was actually hard for me to keep up, and I knew the Bible. It was even a little harder for the inmates. But the point was, I'm not like that, especially not 12 years ago. Now, I know a pastor, and this is, this is true, this is crazy. He knows the Bible so well, he could be like, you have a question, you have a question for him. He'd be like, what, kind of, what version do you have? You have the NIV? That's on page 758, about on the left side, just a little bit down. And there are, there are, so I'm not like that. So it was, it was intimidating where I was. I hadn't been a pastor very long, and it was intimidating to try to follow those two pastors. So this is what I ended up doing. Uh, I prayed about it, and I took a completely different approach. I just went in. I said, hey, had all the guys come around, and, we, and they sat, and then we just started to have a conversation. I said, what do you know about Jesus? What don't you know? What have you heard that sounds weird? What questions do you have? 
what's going on in your life. And then we just went back to the Bible. And we talked, and we got to know each other. And it actually, it ended up, I stayed there for quite a while, uh, for several uh, months. And it was wonderful, and it was a great experience. Um, and the reason this, I'm saying this is, you're going to have concerns yourself about going out there. How, what do you say? Well, I don't know the Bible. For, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have a perfect Bible study all memorized, and I need to go to this page and spend 10 minutes on this, and then 10 minutes on this, and whatever. That's this question. I don't know how to answer. And then you're just, I don't know. You don't need to do any of that. You just need to be you. And just share what you believe. And then go back to the Bible and look things up. It's okay. What questions do they have? What's going on in their life? Go back to the answer. And it's okay to say, I don't know. Let's look it up. Because we're going to see in a minute this guy, Paul, who wrote most of your New Testament, we're going to see it up there. He said the words, I don't know. So it's okay. And it's also it's a good message to get across to other people to say, you know, I don't know either, but let's find that out together. You grow together. And that's one of the reasons that Paul was so successful. He was genuine. He was real. Because I can guarantee you when he was locked in change, he did not have a Bible or his Bible study going, okay, follow me on page 10, and then we're going to go to this. What did he do? He was locked up, and he was just talking from his heart about what he believed. All right? And that's what made him so good. The other thing about him is being genuine, the guards could realize he wasn't like a snake oil salesman. He wasn't shifty. He wasn't maybe one of those preachers who had a little too, many, too much jewelry, dressed a little too nice, too many cars, too many airplanes, where you're wondering where all the money's going, right? He was a real person. He was genuine. He just shared what he believed. He talked to everyone and had an impact on people, especially the guards who were charged with guarding him. Right? That's cool. And because of this, Paul tells us in verse 14, he says, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So the other Christ followers, the other people that were with him, they began to understand that being locked up wasn't necessarily a bad thing. And I know that sounds like a weird thing to say. But the point is, the goal is not ever to get locked up, and we don't want you to get locked up. What we're saying is the goal is to spread the message, no matter what happens. The gospel should be shared in the prison as well. Perhaps that's why God even allowed it to happen, because he knew Paul would just continue, right? And so Paul is making sure the followers on the outside understand that as well. And it's working, because their faith has increased. Instead of becoming fearful and pulling away, like, for example, if myself, Pastor Craig, Pastor Joy, what if we got all arrested for preaching about Jesus Christ? It would be natural for some of you to go, let's just chill. Let the heat die down a little bit, right? That would be uh, normal. Now, just a side note. Um, in this particular imprisonment, we believe Paul wrote, obviously, the book of Philippians, but also uh, Ephesians and Colossians. So God was behind this. God was using him because I can guarantee each one of your Bibles has those books in there. So it wasn't just helping the other inmates, the guards. It was helping the world. 2,000 years later, on the other side of the earth, we're talking about this. And he was still locked up in chains. We know God was using him, right? So let's continue with verses 15 to 18. He says, it is true. It's true that some preach... Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The later do so out of love, knowing 
that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preached Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. So in these few verses, what's interesting is Paul is actually venting about something that's happening to him. But at the same time, he's highlighting, he wants us to make sure we understand that what matters most in all of this is the gospel is being shared. What he's referring to is, at this point in time, there were other Christian teachers, pastors in the area who taught alongside him, or they all knew each other. And they were well aware of how successful Paul was. Paul was very successful at reaching people, right? And even though they were all on the same team, so to speak, wink, wink, there was a little jealousy at how well Paul was doing. Does that kind of make sense? Where we're going with this? So Paul's locked, when Paul got locked up, it maybe provided a little more opportunity to reach people that they couldn't because Paul was there. So not everybody was unhappy Paul was, say, out of the game for a little bit. Does that kind of make sense where he's going? Now, obviously that's not necessarily good, but Paul is also pointing out what matters most is the gospels being shared. Now, we also need to make a point of clarification. Paul is not accusing those other pastors or teachers of preaching a tainted message, right? They did actually preach the gospel. They did it for real. He's saying, though, that at least part of their motivation was a little bit about just, you know, big numbers and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, maybe a little selfish ambition. Now, how this looks today, uh, and this still happens, is there's maybe pastors or lay people that are, want you to know about Jesus Christ, but just as much want you to belong to their denomination. Now, let me give you an example of, most people laugh when I say this because they, they kind of can relate to this where denominations will say, well, we're all going into, we're all getting to heaven. But when the pearly gates open, my denomination is going to be at the front of the line. Does that kind of make sense? I mean, yes, we want you to believe in Jesus, but wouldn't you want to be at the front of the line with us? There is, so even if no one has said that to you, you can kind of feel where I'm coming from and as it is out there a little bit. And that's kind of what Paul is talking about. And the reality is, and this is what Paul is saying and it applies today is, it doesn't really matter so much your denomination. What matters is that you believe in Jesus Christ. So today you can be Baptist, non-denominational, Catholic, Lutheran, Methodist, Assembly of God. All that, what matters is Jesus Christ. That's okay. All those denominations are good, at, but as, they, as long as they preach about Jesus Christ. That's what matters most. Right? He doesn't want the denomination to become the thing. He wants Jesus Christ and conversion to Jesus Christ. Right? And that's what matters. And that's what, that's what his point is. So this brings us to our point, one of our, our points for today. It's kind of a summation of everything so far, and this is what I want you to take to heart. In spite of our perfections, my imperfection, yours, uh, fear of, and difficulty with public speaking, maybe a lack of knowledge, not having the Bible memorized, feeling unworthy, sometimes you just don't want to, what matters most? Some way, somehow, we share the message of Jesus Christ, Okay? That's what we want you to take from this. That's what matters. Are you going to be perfect at it? No. Is everything you say about Jesus or try to say going to be eloquent? No. Well, sometimes you stutter, maybe have an awkward pause or lose your place. Yes, it happens to the best of us. Welcome to the club. Uh, when I first became a, uh, my wife isn't here this morning. She was the other service. She can tell you, when I first became a preacher, I'm not a good public speaker. I don't care for it a whole lot. And so it took me a number of years to get to where I am now. I've been a pastor for, I think, 11 or 12 years. The first three or four were not great. 
And so when I preached, I had everything written down, and this is how it would be. It like... <sighs> It was just, it was, now the other thing is, this is true, that me and Pastor Joey and Pastor Craig, we do this. After service, uh, we get together and we briefly talk about it. How did it go, what I said? Did it make sense? Did my point get across? Did that, because what we want to do, we want to make sure that what we say matters. It makes sense. We know we're not perfect, and so we always work together. And we want you, you to know that too. Don't have that expectation. Don't beat yourself up. It's not going to be perfect. Just Share the gospel. Share what you believe, right? That's what matters most. And that's what I love about this, this letter from Paul to the Philippians. And I'm going to say this several times as we go. The dude was sitting in jail, locked, chained to a wall, and this is what he's telling us. How cool is that? How impressive is that? Right? God is using this time to use him to reach the other inmates, the other guards. So he's saying, you guys on the outside, not locked up, don't get down. Don't get bummed out about this, right? He's almost like giving him a high five through the prison walls. It's okay. It's okay. Keep on keeping on. And let's continue to verse 19. He says, For I know, I know through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. So he's saying, listen, your prayers matter. They matter because your prayers keep you close to God. It matters because your prayers keep you close to me. We know God hears our prayers. So everything about you praying is good. And Paul, now Paul also inserts an important point here that we need to remember. It kind of slips by. is that he's receiving God's provision. It's a fancy word, fancy way to say God is taking care of everything, even in jail. And let's be honest, being locked up doesn't seem like God may be in control. Like, oh, this is bad. Paul's saying, no, no, no. God is providing everything I need. Everything the situation requires God's taking care of it. It's okay. He's saying the prayers are good. And everything that's going on is serving to increase his faith as well. Right? Paul's reaching the other prisoners, the guards, and we know he was writing parts of the New Testament while he's locked up, which is just crazy. So again, God is in control. It's okay. He wants them to stay the course and keep, stay true to their calling. Right? Now, because of all this goodness, the great stuff, the prayers, God's provision... Um, staying the course, again, all of this increases his hope and his expectation of a positive outcome. And let's read his specific words in verse 20. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or what does he say? Or by death. Now that is some heavy duty stuff. Right? And it's something that we can learn from, his point. And if, if there's ever a definition of, a human definition of faith, this is it. Paul hopes and he expects that even though there's a chance this could cost him his life, Christ will simply be exalted. Christ will be known. That's the goal. His life is of no value next to making sure Jesus is known. And I want you to think about that for a moment. That level of faith, that desire to be used to that level, is uncommon. And this directly relates with one of the more difficult teachings from Jesus. I want you to go with me on this. If someone strikes you on the cheek, what are we supposed to do? Turn the other cheek. Now, stick with me here, because that's one of those things people read, and they go, oh, that sounds nice, and they just whip past it. And No, you don't understand. 
If someone, let's say after church you're driving down the road and someone cuts you off. They cut you off. They're the one driving bad. You guys get out and you have a conversation and they go, pow. If by them striking you, you turn the other cheek so they can strike you again. If that, but you by doing that, shows them that Jesus Christ is loving, patient, forgiving, and you're a disciple. If doing that helps them at some point come to know Jesus, you're supposed to turn the other cheek. Remember, there is no teaching from Jesus that directs us or even suggests that we should strike back, get even, or get revenge, right? Test me on that. Check that out. It's simply through following Jesus Christ, being faithful, being patient, loving, forgiving. That's how we are to live. And if it means that we turn our cheeks so we can get hit again, but that person then has a chance to learn about Jesus Christ through our patience and understanding, then do it. That's what we're called to do. Now, in normal society back then and now, what would most people do? Boom, strike right back. It's exactly what they would do. That's the normal response. Just like a normal response, if one of your friends gets locked up, you would do what? Be cool. Right? Wait for the heat to go down. That's what people would normally do. But Christ follows. We aren't called to do what normal people do. We're called to follow Jesus Christ regardless. Right? And so if living a life of nonviolence, absence of revenge, just simple patience, faith, understanding, and love, that's what we're called to do. Discipleship is a way of life. And as we're seeing with Paul, it can come with hardship. It does. But because we have Jesus, because we're saved, we're forgiven, because we have a place in heaven, then it doesn't matter so much what we go through on this earth. What we will receive is far more valuable. Now, as we move into verses 21 and 24, we're going to see Paul have this very interesting discussion with himself. And what he's doing is he's weighing two options. He's doing it not so much for his benefit, but for ours, for people down the road, to see how he's going to come to a conclusion so that hopefully we will see him weighing two options and we would understand and make the same decision ourselves. So it's verses 21 to 24. He says, For me, for me to live is Christ and to die is to gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? Here's these four words. I do not know. I don't know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So his first, the first thing he says is to live as Christ and to die as gain. Now that can seem like a little bit of an odd statement because we don't talk like that. Um, and so it may sound a little weird till we understand what he means. And what he's saying is that no matter what happens, no matter what the future hold, holds, he's a winner because of Jesus Christ. If he lives, if he lives, he's saved, he's a disciple who gets to share the joy of Jesus Christ with others, right? So that is totally a win, right? But then on the other side of, a coin, of the coin, if he dies during this imprisonment, he immediately gets to go be with Jesus in heaven. That's not, there's, so there's no downside. And that's what he's talking about. If he lives, he lives for Jesus. If he dies, he gets to be with Jesus. There's no downside. And that's really the heart of the argument, and that's what he wants us to understand, what he's weighing back and forth. All right? Now, I, I, you've probably heard there's an idea of purgatory that uh, one denomination in particular teaches. Um, and the truth is there's no real bound, uh, biblical foundation for that idea. There isn't even a clear suggestion for it. And that idea directly contradicts what Paul is saying and also specifically uh, what happened with Jesus when he was on the cross. Because when Jesus 
was crucified, there was one on each side, right? One of them made fun of him. The other one said, remember me in your kingdom. And what did Jesus say? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Today, not in six months, six years after you work some stuff off. And what Paul is talking about, if I die, I get to immediately be with Jesus Christ. And the reason I bring this up is Paul was not your average sinner. Before he came to believe in Jesus Christ, before his conversion, his job, his, not a side gig, his job was to hunt down Christians and have them locked up or just executed. That is a heavy do. Anybody do that, by the way? That is a heavy do. That is kind of close with some um, uh, Islamic militants, Al-Qaeda, what they do. He would actually go to uh, Jerusalem, some of the bigger churches, and ask for a warrant, permission from the higher-ups to then go through the town, kicking down doors, looking for Christians. That's what he did before he converted. So if there's ever a dude that deserved a little bit of purgatory to work that stuff off, it's him. But there isn't any. And so that's why we bring that up. It's just not, it's not really, it's not in there. Uh, so after Paul, after he has this internal dialogue about whether it's better to remain on earth or be with Jesus Christ, he kind of decides, well, for now it's better I remain with you because the job isn't finished. He still has work to do with the Philippians, and he's obviously got some more writing to do for the Bible, which we benefit from. Uh, now, before we move on to verses 25 and 26, I do want to remind you quickly of the four words he said at the end of verse uh, 22, where he says, I do not know. Now, this is a reference, again, to whether it's better to live or to come home to be with Jesus. And what, what, the reason I like to do this is, or talk about this is, this is important because Paul, one of the guys who wrote the majority of your New Testament, who did all kinds of things, saw all the things, makes an admission in writing for the whole world to know for the next couple thousand years, I don't know. I don't know. The fact that Paul could admit that shows a lot of courage and should give us courage and understanding when we don't know what's going to happen. And this applies to me, and maybe see if this applies to you. I was always kind of hoping in my mind, as I grew in my faith, became a pastor longer and longer, there, I would pretty much never say, I don't know. Like, I always, I know this. Bam. It doesn't happen. You're still going to have days when you're going to say, I don't know. I don't know. But what Paul says is, stay strong. Keep doing what you're doing. What God wants you to do will become obvious. But at some point, it's okay to say, I don't know. It's part of the gig. But remaining faithful is what we're called to do. Now, as we continue further into chapter 1, we're going to see Paul give some instructions on how people should behave whether he returns to them or not, right? Instructions on what to do. And this goes along with the idea of staying faithful and remaining true, but it's going to bring in the understanding and something we should think about that people see how we behave. They see what we're doing, and it gives them a window into Jesus Christ. So we always need to be cognizant of that. And this is what he says in verses 27 to 28. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that, you will be, that they will be destroyed, but you will be saved, and that by God. 
So Paul's kind of, he's making two points here. Number one, he wants the people, the followers, to remain united. United behind the gospel. Whatever they do, they do together. If they start splintering off into groups or hierarchies, it's only going to hurt their cause. He wants them to remain united. Now, it's also interesting here when he uses the word to conduct, to conduct themselves in a certain manner. He's actually using that, that as an old Greek term, um, and he's referring to being citizens of God's kingdom. They're citizens of God. He, they're not, he's telling them, listen, you're not citizens of Rome or Greece or Samaria or Judea. You belong to God first and foremost, right? And I know today the word patriotism gets thrown around in the political realm, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But if we're followers of Jesus Christ, we belong to him first. Whether you're Republican or Democrat or American or Canadian, or American, it, none of that matters. What matters is if we follow Jesus Christ, we belong to Jesus Christ. And we need to keep that in our mind first and foremost. Okay? That, it was true, it was a big deal back then, and it's true now. God needs to be first in our lives. So where is Paul going with this? He says we should always conduct ourselves as followers of Jesus Christ, because that's one of the best ways that people learn about Jesus. It's through our actions, what they see us do, behaving, behaving like a true follower of Jesus Christ, being patient, understanding, loving, and forgiving can help bring people closer to God, to get a real view of who he is. But if you flip that coin, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but you behave in a horrible way, you can drive people away. I have seen that personally, the damage that a bad pastor or a bad church can do to someone, how it drives them away, where they don't want anything to do with the church or Jesus Christ. Has anybody experienced that or heard of cases like that? It happens. So we need to be real. We need to be genuine. We actually need to follow Jesus Christ. And Paul's also reminding them, he said, he's going to know either way what they do. He's going to hear about it, whether he's near or far. Now, the second point Paul is making here. He wants to remind the people to remain strong because of the effect it's going to have on people who oppose them, who are working against them. If they remain true, if they behave like true followers of Jesus Christ, it'll be a sign to those who oppose them that Jesus Christ is in fact real. He's also saying they'll be destroyed, but what he means, as it sounds dramatic, is there is ultimately a price to pay for sin. There is real consequence for sin. He's saying if you believe in Jesus Christ and have your sins forgiven, you will be in heaven. If you don't, if you hang on to your sin, there is a price to pay for that. There's a punishment for that. So his words are meant to be a comfort for those who believe and a warning to those who do not. Now, verse 28, he instructs the people to not be frightened of those who oppose them. To not be frightened. And we want, I want to pause on this instruction for a minute because we need to make sure we get this right. And it serves a really good purpose. So to understand this, imagine this. Imagine after church, we all get in our cars and we drive down to the water down by uh, Riverside Park, set up a little booth, and we want to start talking to everybody about Jesus Christ. You know, we were all gung-ho, yeah, let's do this, right? We all got our little cards and we want to do this. Word gets out and more people come, and eventually a large group of well-educated uh, atheists who know the Bible really, really, really well. And they come and they challenge us hard. If we immediately pack up and leave... What does that say about Jesus Christ? What do the people around watching, what are they going to learn about Jesus Christ? He's not real. He's not worth it. People don't know what they're doing. I don't want to go through that. So Paul, what he wants us to do is to not be frightened, to literally stand strong, to be peaceful, 
patient and understanding, but also committed. He's saying, yeah, you might get challenged at some point, maybe in a big way. You may encounter someone who tries to trip you up, make you angry, frustrated, or makes you want to turn tail and run. But he says, if you truly believe, if you really believe, what do you have to fear? Here's an example. This is how I do it. I believe in Jesus Christ. You know, big shocker there, right? Oh, I had no idea. I believe in Jesus Christ. That's not really up for debate. If someone wants to ask me questions, I would love to talk about why I believe and how I got there. What we can debate on, if we want to talk about something in the Bible, if, if God really created the earth in seven days, whether really a flood, we can kind of talk about that stuff. This, but what I believe is what I believe. You can't make me scared about something I genuinely believe. And so that's what Paul is saying. Remember, the dude is locked in chains in jail telling us this. So he's saying, be strong. Keep your faith. Don't be frightened if someone opposes you. Share what you actually believe. That's nothing to be scared about. All right. Now, I've also used this example, too, of a good way to oppose those people. Because sometimes when we get scared, what do we do? We want to act out aggressively or get angry or whatever. That's not what he's talking about. This is how Paul opposed people that, um, that were against him. In Acts chapter 16, I, just, I love this story. If you want a, a beautiful story, this is it. Where Paul got arrested again. With, he was with a dude named Silas. I know I make a joke, but he's always getting arrested for teaching about Jesus Christ. But he does. He's in Acts 16. Him and, Paul, him and Silas were arrested, and it says they were locked in the deepest part of the jail. And it says around midnight, which indicates they've been there for a while, probably all day, they start to sing hymns. They sing hymns. And the text tells us, and other inmates were listening to him. Other people, their voices were carrying throughout the jail. Now, there's a couple ways they could have opposed the jailers. They could have tried to fight back, like make a little shank or whatever, like you see on TV. How did they oppose them? They held on to their faith, their joy, and they celebrated. They sang in jail. And the other inmates heard them. And just like with Paul when he's arrested in this Philippi incident, the other inmates would have said one or two things. Those dudes are crazy, mental, screw loose, or they actually believe this stuff. How are they happy singing in jail? What if that's real? What if that's real? And so that's what Paul wants us to understand. The best way to oppose someone, hold on to your joy. Hold on to your happiness. Your guarantee of salvation. That's what makes faith, real faith, real discipleship infectious. That's what makes it work. True faith can't be hidden or dimmed. And this goes right along. And you think I made this up. I didn't. This is why the, all the New Testament, man, it's just beautiful. This is why God's behind this. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus talks about being a, a light to the world. Let's read that because this is going to really make things come together. Matthew chapter 5, 14 to 16. He says, You are the light of the world, a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, there is no little asterisk that says, well, you don't have to do this in prison. You don't have to do this when things are hard. He's talking about just doing this. Whether you're out on a cruise having, you know, filet mignon, or whether you're locked up in jail, be a light on a hill. And here's what's crazy. This is awesome. A few minutes before Jesus said that, he also gave the Sermon on the Mount. 
And then in that sermon, look, listen to these words, because these are about people who are oppressed. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the meek, the peacemakers, people who make peace. Those are descriptions of a people going through hardship, who are oppressed, who are challenged and persecuted. But through those trials, he tells them what? To be a light on a hill. A light that shines, that brings others in. During those times, he wants his followers to have real joy, real happiness, and let that be a sign to others. Now, in the last verses for today, verses uh, 29 to 30, Paul makes a solid point that following Jesus Christ can sometimes bring hardship. All right? It's part of the deal, so don't be concerned by it. This is what he says, 29 to 30. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to what? Suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So let me paint this picture for you. This means, this means God has always known. He's all, this is not a surprise to God. He's always known that his followers, some of them are going to experience hardship. But it doesn't change anything, does it? Again, test me on that. Look through the whole Bible. You're never going to see God's going to be like, yeah, stay strong, asterisk, until... That's not how it works. It doesn't change how we're to behave. Every teaching, every single teaching from Jesus Christ is about showing patience, love, kindness, forgiveness, sharing the good news. And we do that no matter the situation. Right? And so Paul's not only making sure the people in Philippi understand this. Here's the key. He's making sure they understand he still has his joy, his happiness, his reason to celebrate while he's being locked up. Whether he's sitting there sharing a great meal with friends on vacation or whether he's in jail, it's the same message, right? And that's the overall message he wants the people of Philippi to know and that he wrote down so we would know 2,000 years later on the other side of the earth. So this is what we're going to do today. This is, why, this is what this comes down to. Whether you've been coming to this church or any church for decades or whether you're here for the first time today seeking, asking questions, we want you to know the joy of being saved. The joy of knowing Jesus Christ, having your sins forgiven, knowing where you're going to spend eternity. That's what this is about. We want you to know Jesus and have your sins washed away. So if you have not accepted Jesus Christ, first of all, there's no test. No one's going to ask you. What we're going to do is in a minute, we're going to say a prayer. And if you would like to invite Jesus into your heart, you'd like to make that choice, only you can make it, then all you have to do is say the words that I say quietly during the prayer. What you say is between you and God. There's no test. We are here for you, and we want you to know about Jesus Christ. But also in that prayer, we're going to pray for everybody here regardless. We're going to pray for this church. We want you to have faith and courage to remain strong, to hang on to your joy no matter what, so that we can be that light for others when they're going through a dark time too. Amen? Let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Father, I believe in your Son, Jesus Christ. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins, and I believe that you raised him from the dead. Today I ask Jesus to come into my life and to make me new. I ask him to forgive me, to save me, and then to guide my steps for the rest of my life. Father, today I pray. I pray that you will increase the faith of each person here. We ask you to give us all courage, strength, and determination to endure all trials. 
to stand strong, to trust in you, and to hold on to our joy. May everything we go through, both good and bad, may it strengthen our resolve, and may we always lean on you. Father, we also pray We also pray for all people to come to know you and to place their trust in you. It's only through you and the saving grace of your Son that we even have hope that we're saved. And Father, we pray that as our faith grows, as our church grows, that you will use each one of us as you see fit. Use us to expand your kingdom. Use, help us to use the gifts that you've given each and every one of us. Father, we thank you for the life that you've given each one of us. We thank you for the church, but most of all, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we ask all these things. Amen. All right, so once again, thank you for being here this morning. Uh, We're going to be studying the New Testament book of Philippians, continuing our study, uh, Philippians chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to that part. If you use your phone or your iPad or tablet, that is fine too. Please feel free to do that. And if you don't have a Bible, no worries. All the Bible verses will be on the screen behind me, so we got you covered no matter what, okay? So if you would, turn to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 12 and go to 14. And this is what Paul says. This is what he wants us to know. And he tells us, now I want you to know. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now, what we're seeing here, first and foremost, is that Paul is reassuring the other Christ followers, the other people. Obviously, he's locked up, but the people outside. That's what this, these verses are going to be about. Paul has been arrested. He's sitting in chains in prison. And let's be honest, that situation normally wouldn't bring a lot of confidence and security to a group if your head person, your main leader, is now arrested and locked up right? Usually being arrested, thrown in jail would cause panic, cause the whole group to even reconsider if this is the smartest thing to do anyway, right? Maybe, maybe God's not even in this because if he got locked up, what are we doing, right? That would be a normal response, right? Those are normal questions that run through your head. So you can't necessarily blame the people if some of them were thinking that. But Paul, being ever the evangelist, he understands this. He wants them to He wants to console them and also remind them that God works in all kinds of situations, right? This is why he's telling them in verse 12. He says, what happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. See, there's a turning point there, right? Which means, listen, guys, because I got arrested, the gospel is still being spread. I'm still doing what God called me to do, right? Which actually means Paul This is kind of funny. Who got arrested for teaching about Jesus Christ is doing what in jail? Teaching about Jesus Christ. He's doing the same thing. All right? He's teaching the other inmates, the other guards. And he says, basically, anybody in the palace who would listen, anybody with an earshot, he's telling about Jesus Christ. Now, from a practical standpoint, that might not seem like a smart thing to do. Getting arrested for something and then doing it what? And just not even learning at all, right? He's still doing that. But let's reread what he says in verse 13. 
As a result, which means he's doing it, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard, not just one or two, but everybody and to everyone else, that I am in chains for Christ. So every guard in the palace has now come to the realization that Paul's actually not a bad guy. He's clearly not a criminal. He's not a swindler. He's not physically dangerous. He's not robbing anybody. This guy who we just locked up is just totally, completely believes in this guy, Jesus. And he won't stop talking about him. He just keeps talking and talking. And let's be honest, he keeps telling me and you and everybody else that this guy rose from the dead. And there are witnesses. He walked on water. There are witnesses. He fed thousands. He did all this stuff. And Paul won't stop talking about him. So that means one or two things. Paul is either crazy, totally mental, or he actually believes this stuff. He's actually a decent guy. He just believes this stuff. And so what Paul's saying is it's causing the guards to go, hmm, he's not crazy. That's different. And that's what's going on here. The message is still getting out. And Paul is making sure the people on the outside realize that what happened to him is not necessarily a bad thing. He got arrested, sure, but the gospel is still being shared. Good things happen, bad things happen, but regardless, the goal is to always be a disciple and just simply share the good news, right? Because that's what we're called to do. And this is what I want you to uh, test me on, right? You can test me. Look through the Bible, and you're not going to find anywhere that Jesus says, share about me as long as things are going well. It doesn't say that anywhere. It doesn't say that. Trust me on that. Because of who he is, because of who Jesus actually is, we can share about him at all times. And he, this is what he actually, Jesus actually told us. It's awesome. It's Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Then Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And there's this beautiful word, therefore, which means due to everything I just said, this is what this is leading to. Because of that, therefore, you can go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'll be with you to the very end of the age. Because he's been given all authority in heaven and earth, because he is who he says he is, we can go where he calls us to go. We can do what he tells us to do. We can do it because he's the Messiah. This means when things are going well, do it. This means when things aren't going well, do it. Because he has all the authority, all right? If we're free, do it. If we're locked up, do it. Now, I also want to share something here that really is going to apply, all right? And it highlights how important it is just simply to share the good news, no matter what. Uh, there were years ago, years ago, about 10 plus years, maybe 12 now, I did a Bible study in the Indian River, Indian River County Jail. Uh, and just for the record, I wasn't locked up. I went into the front door and all that stuff. That's okay if I did, because Paul was the perfect example. But I always bring it up because there's always one or two people like, I wonder if he got locked up or something. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, but it was a really good experience. And it, it was good not only because we got to talk about Jesus, but I learned a lot too. And when I went through it for the first couple of times, they put me with two other pastors who'd been there a long time and doing a thing. And you get to learn the, uh, the whole setup and how you get in, how you get out, how long you're there, all that kind of stuff. But it was very intimidating, not just because I was in the jail and there was a bunch of you know, tough guys that could break me in half easily. The two pastors I was with were two of those types of pastors that pretty much had every Bible verse memorized. 
But, so when they would talk, they would talk for a half hour, 45 minutes to an hour, some even sometimes, and they would just blaze, they didn't have a Bible, they just blazed through it and they were just rattling off all these verses, right? And it was actually hard for me to keep up and I knew the Bible. It was even a little harder for the inmates. But the point was, I'm not like that, especially not 12 years ago. Now I know a pastor, and this is, this is true, this is crazy, he knows the Bible so well, he could be like, you have a question, you have a question for him, he'd be like, what, kind of, what version do you have? You have the NIV? That's on page 758, about on the left side, just a little bit down. And there are, there are, so I'm not like that. So it was, it was intimidating where I was. I hadn't been a pastor very long, and it was intimidating to try to follow those two pastors. So this is what I ended up doing. Uh, I prayed about it, and I took a completely different approach. I just went in, I said, hey, had all the guys come around, and, we, and they sat, and then we just started to have a conversation. I said, what do you know about Jesus? What don't you know? What have you heard that sounds weird? What questions do you have? What's going on in your life? And then we just went back to the Bible. And we talked. And we got to know each other. And it actually it ended up, I stayed there for a, quite a while, uh, for several uh, months. And it was wonderful. And it was a great experience. Um, and the reason this, I'm saying this is, you're going to have concerns yourself about going out there. How, what do you say? I don't know the Bible. I don't, I, don't, I don't have a perfect Bible study all memorized, and I need to go to this page and spend 10 minutes on this and then 10 minutes on this, and whatever they ask this question, I don't know how to answer, and then you're just, I don't know if I can do this. You don't need to do any of that. You just need to be you and just share what you believe and then go back to the Bible and look things up. It's okay. What questions do they have? What's going on in their life? Go back to the answer, and it's okay to say, I don't know. Let's look it up. Because we're going to see in a minute this guy, Paul, who wrote most of your New Testament, we're going to see it up there. He said the words, I don't know. So it's okay. And it's also it's a good message to get across to other people to say, you know, I don't know either. But let's find that out together. You grow together. And that's one of the reasons that Paul was so successful. He was genuine. He was real. Because I can guarantee you when he was locked in change, he did not have a Bible or his Bible study going, okay, follow me on page 10 and then we're going to go to this. What did he do? He was locked up and he was just talking from his heart about what he believed. Right? And that's what made him so good. The other thing about him is being genuine, the guards could realize he wasn't like a snake oil salesman. He wasn't shifty. He wasn't maybe one of those preachers who had a little too, many, too much jewelry, dressed a little too nice too many cars, too many airplanes, where you're wondering where all the money's going, right? He was a real person. He was genuine. He just shared what he believed. He talked to everyone and had an impact on people, especially the guards who were charged with guarding him, right? That's cool. And because of this, Paul tells us in verse 14, he says, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So the other Christ followers, the other people that were with him, they began to understand that being locked up wasn't necessarily a bad thing. And I know that sounds like a weird thing to say. But the point is, the goal is not ever to get locked up, and we don't want you to get locked up. What we're saying is the goal is to spread the message, no matter what happens. The gospel should be shared in the prison as well. Perhaps that's why God even allowed it to happen, because he knew Paul would just continue, right? And so Paul is making sure the followers on the outside understand that as well, and it's working because their faith has increased. Instead of becoming fearful and pulling away, 
Like, for example, if myself, Pastor Craig, Pastor Joey, what if we got all arrested for preaching about Jesus Christ? It would be natural for some of you to go, let's just chill. Let the heat die down a little bit, right? That would be uh, normal. Now, just a side note. Uh, in this particular imprisonment, we believe Paul wrote, obviously, the book of Philippians, but also uh, Ephesians and Colossians. So God was behind this. God was using him because I can guarantee each one of your Bibles has those books in there. So it wasn't just helping the other inmates, the guards, it was helping the world. 2,000 years later, on the other side of the earth, we're talking about this. And he was still locked up in chains. We know God was using him, right? So let's continue with verses 15 to 18. He says, it is true, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The later do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. So in these few verses, what's interesting is Paul is actually venting about something that's happening to him. But at the same time, he's highlighting, he wants us to make sure we understand that what matters most in all of this is the gospel is being shared. What he's referring to is, at this point in time, there were other uh, Christian teachers, pastors in the area who taught alongside him, or they all knew each other. And they were well aware of how successful Paul was. Paul was very successful at reaching people, right? And even though they were all on the same team, so to speak, wink, wink, there was a little jealousy at how well Paul was doing. Does that kind of make sense? Where we're going with this? So Paul's locked, when Paul got locked up, it maybe provided a little more opportunity to reach people that they couldn't because Paul was there. So not everybody was unhappy Paul was, say, out of the game for a little bit. Does that kind of make sense where he's going? Now, obviously that's not necessarily good, but Paul is also pointing out what matters most is the gospel is being shared. Now, we also need to make a point of clarification. Paul is not accusing those other pastors or teachers of preaching a tainted message, right? They did actually preach the gospel. They did it for real. He's saying, though, that at least part of their motivation was a little bit about just, you know, big numbers and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, maybe a little selfish ambition. Now, how this looks today uh, and this still happens, is there's maybe pastors or lay people that are, want you to know about Jesus Christ, but just as much want you to belong to their denomination. Now, let me give you an example. of it, Most people laugh when I say this because they, they kind of can relate to this. Where denominations will say, well, we're all, going into, we're all getting to heaven, but when the pearly gates open, my denomination is going to be at the front of the line. Does that kind of make sense? I mean, yes, we want you to believe in Jesus, but wouldn't you want to be at the front of the line with us? There is, so even if no one has said that to you, you can kind of feel where I'm coming from and that it is out there a little bit. And that's kind of what Paul is talking about. And the reality is, and this is what Paul is saying and it applies today, is it doesn't really matter so much your denomination. What matters is that you believe in Jesus Christ. So today you can be Baptist, non-denominational, Catholic, Lutheran, Methodist, Assembly of God. All that, what matters is Jesus Christ. That's okay. All those denominations are good, at, but as, they, as long as they preach about Jesus Christ, that's what matters most, right? He doesn't want the denomination to become the thing. He wants Jesus Christ and conversion to Jesus Christ, right? 
And that's what matters. And that's what, that's what his point is. So this brings us to our point, one of our, our points for today. It's kind of a summation of everything so far, and this is what I want you to take to heart. In spite of our perfections, my imperfection, yours, uh, fear of, and difficulty with public speaking, maybe a lack of knowledge, not having the Bible memorized, feeling unworthy, sometimes you just don't want to. What matters most? Some way, somehow, we share the message of Jesus Christ. Okay? That's what we want you to take from this. That's what matters. Are you going to be perfect at it? No. Is everything you say about Jesus or try to say going to be eloquent? No. Well, sometimes you stutter, maybe have an awkward pause or lose your place. Yes, it happens to the best of us. Welcome to the club. Uh, when I first became a, uh, my wife isn't here this morning, she was the other service. She can tell you, when I first became a preacher, I'm not a good public speaker. I don't care for it a whole lot, and so it took me a number of years to get to where I am now. I've been a pastor for, I think, 11 or 12 years. The first three or four were not great. And so when I preached, I had everything written down, and this is how it would be. It'd be like, <sighs> it was just, it was, now, the other thing is, this is true, that me and Pastor Joey and Pastor Craig, we do this. After service, uh, we get together and we briefly talk about it. How did it go, what I said? Did it make sense? Did my point get across? Did that? Because what we want to do, we want to make sure that what we say matters. It makes sense. We know we're not perfect, and so we always work together. And we want you, you to know that, too. Don't have that expectation. Don't beat yourself up. It's not going to be perfect. Just share the gospel. Share what you believe, right? That's what matters most. And that's what I love about this, this letter from Paul to the Philippians, and I'm going to say this several times as we go, the dude was sitting in jail, locked, chained to a wall, and this is what he's telling us. How cool is that? How impressive is that? Right? God is using this time to use him to reach the other inmates, the other guards. So he's saying, you guys on the outside, not locked up, don't get down. Don't get bummed out about this. Right? He's almost like giving him a high five through the prison walls. It's okay. It's okay. Keep on keeping on. And let's continue to verse 19. He says, For I know, I know through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. So he's saying, listen, your prayers matter. They matter because your prayers keep you close to God. It matters because your prayers keep you close to me. We know God hears our prayers. So everything about you praying is good. And Paul, now Paul also inserts an important point here that we need to remember. It kind of slips by. is that he's receiving God's provision. It's a fancy word, fancy way to say God is taking care of everything, even in jail. And let's be honest, being locked up doesn't seem like God may be in control. Like, oh, this is bad. Paul's saying, no, no, no. God is providing everything I need. Everything the situation requires, God's taking care of it. It's okay. He's saying the prayers are good. And everything that's going on is serving to increase his faith as well, right? Paul's reaching the other prisoners, the guards, and we know he was writing parts of the New Testament while he's locked up, which is just crazy. So again, God is in control. It's okay. He wants them to stay the course and keep, stay true to their calling, right? Now, because of all this goodness, the great stuff, the prayers, God's provision, um, staying the course, again, all of this increases his hope and his expectation of a positive outcome. And let's read his specific words in verse 20. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, 
whether by life or what does he say? Or by death. Now that is some heavy-duty stuff, right? And it's something that we can learn from, his point. And if, if there's ever a definition of, a human definition of faith, this is it. Paul hopes and he expects that even though there's a chance this could cost him his life, Christ will simply be exalted. Christ will be known. That's the goal. His life is of no value next to making sure Jesus is known. I want you to think about that for a moment. That level of faith, that desire to be used to that level is uncommon. And this directly relates with one of the more difficult teachings from Jesus. I want you to go with me on this. If someone strikes you on the cheek, what are we supposed to do? Turn the other cheek. Now, stick with me here, because that's one of those things people read, and they go, oh, that sounds nice, and they just whip past it. And No, you don't understand. If someone, let's say after church you're driving down the road and someone cuts you off, they cut you off. They're the one driving bad. You guys get out and you have a conversation and they go, pow. If by them striking you, you turn the other cheek so they can strike you again, if that, by you by doing that, shows them that Jesus Christ is loving, patient, forgiving, and you're a disciple, if doing that helps them at some point come to know Jesus, you're supposed to turn the other cheek. Remember, there is no teaching from Jesus that directs us or even suggests that we should strike back, get even, or get revenge, right? Test me on that. Check that out. It's simply through following Jesus Christ, being faithful, being patient, loving, forgiving. That's how we are to live. And if it means that we turn our cheeks so we can get hit again, but that person then has a chance to learn about Jesus Christ through our patience and understanding, then do it. That's what we're called to do. Now, in normal society back then and now, what would most people do? Boom, strike right back. It's exactly what they would do. That's the normal response. Just like a normal response, if you're, one of your friends gets locked up, you would do what? Be cool. Right? Wait for the heat to go down. That's what people would normally do. But Christ follows. We aren't called to do what normal people do. We're called to follow Jesus Christ regardless. Right? And so if living a life of nonviolence, absence of revenge, just simple patience, faith, understanding, and love, that's what we're called to do. Discipleship is a way of life. And as we're seeing with Paul, it can come with hardship. It does. But because we have Jesus, because we're saved, we're forgiven, because we have a place in heaven, then it doesn't matter so much what we go through on this earth. What we will receive is far more valuable. Now, as we move into verses 21 and 24, we're going to see Paul have this very interesting discussion with himself. And what he's doing is he's weighing two options. He's doing it not so much for his benefit, but for ours, for people down the road, to see how he's going to come to a conclusion so that hopefully we will see him weighing two options and we would understand and make the same decision ourselves. So it's verses 21 to 24. He says, For me, for me to live is Christ, and to die is to gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? Here's these four words. I do not know. I don't know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So his first, the first thing he says is to live as Christ and to die as gain. Now that can seem like a little bit of an odd statement because we don't talk like that. Um, and so it may sound a little weird till we understand what he means. And what he's saying is that no matter what happens, no matter what the future holds 
holds, he's a winner because of Jesus Christ. If he lives, if he lives, he's saved, he's a disciple who gets to share the joy of Jesus Christ with others, right? So that is totally a win, right? But then on the other side of of the coin, if he dies during this imprisonment, he immediately gets to go be with Jesus in heaven. That's not, there's, so there's no downside. And that's what he's talking about. If he lives, he lives for Jesus. If he dies, he gets to be with Jesus. There's no downside. And that's really the heart of the argument, and that's what he wants us to understand, what he's weighing back and forth. All right? Now, I, I, you've probably heard there's an idea of purgatory that uh, one denomination in particular teaches. Um, and the truth is there's no real bound, uh, biblical foundation for that idea. There isn't even a clear suggestion for it. And that idea directly contradicts what Paul is saying and also specifically uh, what happened with Jesus when he was on the cross. Because when Jesus was crucified, there was one on each side. Right? One of them made fun of him. The other one said, remember me in your kingdom. And what did Jesus say? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Today. Not in six months, six years after you work some stuff off. And what Paul is talking about, if I die, I get to immediately be with Jesus Christ. And the reason I bring this up is, Paul was not your average sinner. Before he came to believe in Jesus Christ, before his conversion, his job, his, not a side gig, his job was to hunt down Christians and have them locked up or just executed. That is a heavy do. Anybody do that, by the way? That is a heavy, that is kind of close with some um, uh, Islamic militants, Al-Qaeda, what they do. He would actually go to uh, Jerusalem, some of the bigger churches, and ask for a warrant, permission from the higher-ups to then go through the town, kicking down doors, looking for Christians. That's what he did before he converted. So if there's ever a dude that deserved a little bit of purgatory to work that stuff off, it's him. But there isn't any. And so that's why we bring that up. It's just not, it's not really, it's not in there. Uh, so after Paul, after he has this internal dialogue about whether it's better to remain on earth or be with Jesus Christ, he kind of decides, well, for now it's better I remain with you because the job isn't finished. He still has work to do with the Philippians, and he's obviously got some more writing to do for the Bible, which we benefit from. Uh, now, before we move on to verses 25 and 26, I do want to remind you quickly of the four words he said at the end of verse uh, 22, where he says, I do not know. Now, this is a reference, again, to whether it's better to live or come home to be with Jesus. And what, what, the reason I like to do this is, or talk about this is, this is important because Paul, one of the guys who wrote the majority of your New Testament, who did all kinds of things, saw all the things, makes an admission in writing for the whole world to know for the next couple thousand years, I don't know. I don't know. The fact that Paul could admit that shows a lot of courage and should give us courage and understanding when we don't know what's going to happen. And this applies to me, and maybe see if this applies to you. I was always kind of hoping in my mind as I grew in my faith, became a pastor longer and longer, longer there, I would pretty much never say, I don't know. Like, I always, I know this. Bam. It doesn't happen. You're still going to have days when you're going to say, I don't know. I don't know. But what Paul says is, stay strong. Keep doing what you're doing. What God wants you to do will become obvious. But at some point, it's okay to say, I don't know. It's part of the gig. But remaining faithful is what we're called to do. Now, as we continue further into chapter 1, we're going to see Paul give some instructions on how people should behave whether he returns to them or not. 
right? Instructions on what to do. And this goes along with the idea of staying faithful and remaining true, but it's going to bring in the understanding and something we should think about that people see how we behave. They see what we're doing, and it gives them a window into Jesus Christ. So we always need to be cognizant of that. And this is what he says in verses 27 to 28. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that, you will be dis- that they will be destroyed, but you will be saved, and that by God. So Paul's kind of, he's making two points here. Number one, he wants the people, the followers, to remain united. United behind the gospel. Whatever they do, they do together. If they start splintering off into groups or hierarchies, it's only going to hurt their cause. He wants them to remain united. Now, it's also interesting here when he uses the word to conduct, to conduct themselves in a certain manner. He's actually using that that, as an old Greek term, um, and he's referring to being citizens of God's kingdom. They're citizens of God. He's telling them, listen, you're not citizens of Rome or Greece or Samaria or Judea. You belong to God first and foremost, right? And I know today the word patriotism gets thrown around in the political realm, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But if we're followers of Jesus Christ, we belong to him first. Whether Republican or Democrat or American or Canadian, or American, it, none of that matters. What matters is if we follow Jesus Christ, we belong to Jesus Christ. And we need to keep that in our mind first and foremost. Okay? That, it was true. It was a big deal back then. And it's true now. God needs to be first in our lives. So where is Paul going with this? He says we should always conduct ourselves as followers of Jesus Christ, because that's one of the best ways that people learn about Jesus. It's through our actions, what they see us do, behaving, behaving like a true follower of Jesus Christ, being patient, understanding, loving, and forgiving, can help bring people closer to God, to get a real view of who he is. But if you flip that coin, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but you behave in a horrible way, you can drive people away. I have seen that personally, the damage that a bad pastor or a bad church can do to someone, how it drives them away, the way they don't want anything to do with the church or Jesus Christ. Has anybody experienced that or heard of cases like that? It happens. So we need to be real. We need to be genuine. We actually need to follow Jesus Christ. And Paul is also reminding them, he said, he's going to know either way what they do. He's going to hear about it, whether he's near or far. Now, the second point Paul is making here. He wants to remind the people to remain strong because of the effect it's going to have on people who oppose them, who are working against them. If they remain true, if they behave like true followers of Jesus Christ, it'll be a sign to those who oppose them that Jesus Christ is in fact real. He's also saying they'll be destroyed, but what he means, as it sounds dramatic, is there is ultimately a price to pay for sin. There is real consequence for sin. He's saying if you believe in Jesus Christ and have your sins forgiven, you will be in heaven. If you don't, if you hang on to your sin, there is a price to pay for that. There's a punishment for that. So his words are meant to be a comfort for those who believe and a warning to those who do not. Now, verse 28, he instructs the people to not be frightened of those who oppose them. To not be frightened. And we want, I want to pause on this instruction for a minute because we need to make sure we get this right. And it serves a really good purpose. So to understand this, imagine this. Imagine after church, 
we all get in our cars and we drive down to the water down by uh, Riverside Park, set up a little booth, and we want to start talking to everybody about Jesus Christ. You know, we were all gung-ho. Yeah, let's do this. Right? We all got our little cards and we want to do this. Word gets out and more people come. And eventually, a large group of well-educated uh, atheists who know the Bible really, really, really well. And they come and they challenge us hard. If we immediately pack up and leave... What does that say about Jesus Christ? What do the people around watching, what are they going to learn about Jesus Christ? He's not real. He's not worth it. People don't know what they're doing. I don't want to go through that. So Paul, what he wants us to do is to not be frightened, to literally stand strong, to be peaceful, patient, and understanding, but also committed. He's saying, yeah, you might get challenged at some point, maybe in a big way. You may encounter someone who tries to trip you up, make you angry, frustrated, or makes you want to turn tail and run. But he says, if you truly believe, if you really believe, what do you have to fear? Here's an example. This is how I do it. I believe in Jesus Christ. You know, big shocker there, right? Oh, I had no idea. I believe in Jesus Christ. That's not really up for debate. If someone wants to ask me questions, I would love to talk about why I believe and how I got there. What we can debate on, if we want to talk about something in the Bible, if, if God really created the earth in seven days, whether really a flood, we can kind of talk about that stuff. This, but what I believe is what I believe. You can't make me scared about something I genuinely believe. And so that's what Paul is saying. Remember, the dude is locked in chains in jail telling us this. So he's saying, be strong. Keep your faith. Don't be frightened if someone opposes you. Share what you actually believe. That's nothing to be scared about. All right. Now, I've also used this example, too, of a good way to oppose those people. Because sometimes when we get scared, what do we do? We want to act out aggressively or get angry or whatever. That's not what he's talking about. This is how Paul opposed people that, um, that were against him. In Acts chapter 16, I, just, I love this story. If you want a, a beautiful story, this is it. Where Paul got arrested again. With, he was with a dude named Silas. I know I make a joke, but he's always getting arrested for teaching about Jesus Christ. But he does. He's in Acts 16. Him and, Paul, him and Silas were arrested, and it says they were locked in the deepest part of the jail. And it says around midnight, which indicates they've been there for a while, probably all day, they start to sing hymns. They sing hymns. And the text tells us, and other inmates were listening to him. Other people, the voices were carrying throughout the jail. Now, there's a couple ways they could have opposed the jailers. They could have tried to fight back, like make a little shank or whatever, like you see on TV. How did they oppose them? They held on to their faith, their joy, and they celebrated. They sang in jail. And the other inmates heard them. And just like with Paul when he's arrested in this Philippi incident, the other inmates would have said one or two things. Those dudes are crazy, mental, screw loose, or they actually believe this stuff. How are they happy singing in jail? What if that's real? What if that's real? And so that's what Paul wants us to understand. The best way to oppose someone, hold on to your joy. Hold on to your happiness. Your guarantee of salvation. That's what makes faith, real faith, real discipleship infectious. That's what makes it work. True faith can't be hidden or dimmed. And this goes right along. 
and you think I made this up, I didn't. This is why the, all the New Testament, man, it's just beautiful. This is why God's behind this. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus talks about being a, a light to the world. Let's read that, because this is going to really make things come together. Matthew chapter 5, 14 to 16. He says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill it cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, there is no little asterisk that says, well, you don't have to do this in prison. You don't have to do this when things are hard. He's talking about just doing this. Whether you're out on a cruise having, you know, filet mignon, or whether you're locked up in jail, be a light on a hill. And here's what's crazy. This is awesome. A few minutes before Jesus said that, he also gave the Sermon on the Mount. And in that sermon, listen to these words, because these are about people who are oppressed. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the meek, the peacemakers, people who make peace. Those are descriptions of a people going through hardship, who are oppressed, who are challenged and persecuted. But through those trials, he tells them what? To be a light on a hill. A light that shines, that brings others in. During those times, he wants his followers to have real joy, real happiness, and let that be assigned to others. Now in the last verses for today, verses 29 to 30, Paul makes a solid point that following Jesus Christ can sometimes bring hardship. Right? It's part of the deal, so don't be concerned by it. This is what he says, 29 to 30. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to what? Suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So let me paint this picture for you. This means, this means God has always known. He's all, this is not a surprise to God. He's always known that his followers, some of them are going to experience hardship. But it doesn't change anything, does it? Again, test me on that. Look through the whole Bible. You're never going to see God's going to be like, yeah, stay strong, asterisk, until... That's not how it works. It doesn't change how we're to behave. Every teaching, every single teaching from Jesus Christ is about showing patience, love, kindness, forgiveness, sharing the good news. And we do that no matter the situation. Right? And so Paul's not only making sure the people in Philippi understand this. Here's the key. He's making sure they understand he still has his joy, his happiness, his reason to celebrate while he's being locked up. Whether he's sitting there sharing a great meal with friends on vacation or whether he's in jail, it's the same message, right? And that's the overall message he wants the people of Philippi to know and that he wrote down so we would know 2,000 years later on the other side of the earth. So this is what we're going to do today. This is, why, this is what this comes down to. Whether you've been coming to this church or any church for decades or whether you're here for the first time today seeking, asking questions, we want you to know the joy of being saved, the joy of knowing Jesus Christ, having your sins forgiven, knowing where you're going to spend eternity. That's what this is about. We want you to know Jesus and have your sins washed away. So if you have not accepted Jesus Christ, first of all, there's no test. No one's going to ask you. What we're going to do is in a minute, we're going to say a prayer. And if you would like to invite Jesus into your heart, you'd like to make that choice, only you can make it, then all you have to do is say the words that I say quietly during the prayer. What you say is between you and God. There's no test, but we are here for you and we want you to know about Jesus Christ. But also in that prayer, 
We're going to pray for everybody here regardless. We're going to pray for this church. We want you to have faith and courage to remain strong, to hang on to your joy no matter what, so that we can be that light for others when they're going through a dark time too. Amen? Let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Father, I believe in your Son, Jesus Christ. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins, and I believe that you raised him from the dead. Today I ask Jesus to come into my life and to make me new. I ask him to forgive me, to save me, and then to guide my steps for the rest of my life. Father, today I pray. I pray that you will increase the faith of each person here. We ask you to give us all courage, strength, and determination to endure all trials, to stand strong, to trust in you, and to hold on to our joy. May everything we go through, both good and bad, may it strengthen our resolve, and may we always lean on you. Father, we also pray, we also pray for all people to come to know you and to place their trust in you. It's only through you and the saving grace of your Son that we even have hope that we're saved. And Father, we pray that as our faith grows, as our church grows, that you will use each one of us as you see fit. Use us to expand your kingdom. Use, help us to use the gifts that you've given each and every one of us. Father, we thank you for the life that you've given each one of us. We thank you for the church, but most of all, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we ask all these things. Amen. Thank you.